Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Sri Viswanathan, who is the founder of SVN Capital. In this episode, Sri provides an overview of his investment process and style. Sri has just 11 stocks currently in his portfolio. He walks us through his thesis for investing in two of these stocks, both of which are high quality compounders. I really enjoyed listening to him and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Okay, let's crack on. Please enjoy my conversation with Sri. Hi Shreya, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Hi John, thanks a lot for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your uh, program and uh, sincerely appreciate you inviting me here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Can you provide an overview of SVN Capital and what is the philosophy and investment style? SVN Capital is a patient long-term investment platform that's devoid of the three T's that are the bane of investing transaction cost, taxes, and turnover. And it also has a very equitable fee structure. We can get into that later. But uh, you know, when you spend some time in any particular industry, you sort of observe and learn its strengths and weaknesses. I always knew that when I launched my fund, it would be devoid of certain skeletons. So what are they? I'd like to highlight about five of them here. You know, lack of alignment of interest is number one. Uh, I believe this has a reverberating impact on many other aspects of the fund management business. But there are about 15,000 mutual funds in operation, and more than 50% of which have $0 invested from their portfolio managers. I have invested more than 90% of my liquid net worth into SVN capital, good alignment of interest. Number two is short time horizon. You know, thanks to high-frequency trading and general human tendency to want everything immediately, average holding period of a New York stock exchange stock has come down to five and a half months from as much as about seven years in the 1940s. One of the most powerful forces on earth that I try to tap into for generating my returns is compounding. Holding securities for a short span of time not only disrupts such compounding, but also leads to detrimental tax impact. I think about, at SVN Capital, I think about holding uh, securities for at least seven plus years. Number three is frequency of trading. You know, one of the reasons why fund managers trade very frequently is because of more information. However, in investing, more information leads to less returns. Number four is over diversification. You know, currently an average mutual fund has about 100 plus securities in a, an equity mutual fund. There are both empirical and practical evidence for why such over diversification hurts performance over time. As a one band investment committee, I find concentrating in 10 to 15 securities decreases risk as I make investment decisions after intensely studying, thinking about the business, and building up a level of confidence. And finally, number five is fees. Investment management is one of the few industries where 
a long-running practice has been that the manager gets paid irrespective of the eventual returns generated for the actual investor. At SVN Capital, I've designed a very equitable fee structure where I get paid only a performance fee, a minimum threshold of 5% above which is when I get paid. And there is no management fee. A structure where I think, where I make money only when I make money for my investors. So that's the investment philosophy and uh, style. I completely agree with you when it comes to uh, concentration. It's amazing how many stocks some of these funds do hold. What type of businesses do you like to invest in? What, what are the characteristics you look for? I describe SVN Capital as a value-oriented fund with a heavy quality overlay. My investment criteria entails answering the following four questions affirmatively. Number one, you know, do I understand the business? I'd like to remain within a circle of competence. I have certain preference for preference and experience in certain areas and try to avoid things like pure commodity businesses like energy, oil and gas uh, companies, Bitcoin, biotech, stuff like that. So I'd like to within, uh, you know, stay within a circle of competence. That's number one. Number two, and that's a very important question, is it a high quality business? What I mean there is, can the business grow its intrinsic value at high rates over long time horizons? Now, in my estimation, quality is more important over long t- holding periods as you know, once long-term returns will approximate the company's internal returns on capital over time. The type of quality businesses that I look for not only generate this high return on capital, but also have good reinvestment opportunities. The combined effect of high incremental return on capital and reinvestment rate, I believe, leads to high growth in intrinsic value. Number three, is the business run by honest and competent management teams with skin in the game? Now, management's primary objective should be to allocate capital so as to generate a return on capital that's in excess of cost of capital. And as a minority patient long-term investor, I believe it's only reasonable to expect my share of the capital to be allocated efficiently. You know, what I have found in my experience is that many owner-operated businesses are able to address this important question of capital allocation very efficiently. Eight of my 11 portfolio companies are either owner-operated or family-controlled at this point. So that's number three. Number four is the business available at a reasonable valuation. And I look at this from a variety of different metrics and... uh, try to appreciate the quality of the business and the corresponding valuation through that angle. So those are the four questions I want to have answered affirmatively before I can actually invest. And that sort of drives the type of businesses that I invest in. And what would cause you to sell? That's the most important problem that many investors face. Uh, there, is no, um, there is no specific uh, right methodology, but for me to sell, either quality of the business, quality of the management team, you know, one of the two must have been disrupted relative to my original thesis. Number two, if I find better investing opportunity outside the current portfolio, 
And so those sort of uh, drive my uh, uh, cell decisions. Looking back, most of my uh, uh, issues have been in this area of selling. There is no right answer to that question, but it's a very important question. You say you got 11 stocks in your portfolio. Can we talk about two stocks that you were, you were really bullish on? What was the thesis for investing? Absolutely. So the first one I'd like to highlight is actually a Swedish company that trades in Stockholm Stock Exchange, a company called Evolution Gaming. In fact, uh, let's actually go through those four questions that I highlighted earlier. And what does the company do? Now, Evolution is the live vertical supplier to more than 300 online gaming and land-based casinos. What do I mean by live vertical supplier? Many uh, gaming players around the world increasingly you know, want to have, want to engage with a live dealer when making online bets. Evolution provides everything associated with this live dealer requirement to gaming company operators. And I think of DraftKings or FanDuel and other online betting companies that have grown uh, recently over, over the last few years. Evolution provides that B2B, a business-to-business kind of a solution to these online providers. They provide you know, everything associated with recruiting, training of game presenters, streaming, production, supervision, customer service, everything. They also provide a broad portfolio of games, traditional table games and traditional uh, land-based casino games like roulette, blackjack, baccarat. And they've also come up with their own games like uh, live roulette, Dreamcatcher, and crazy times. Uh, Evolution earns a commission of somewhere between 10 to 20% of what's called as gross gaming revenue. That's essentially the online operator's customer losses. And so these guys capture about 10 to 20%, depending upon the operator and the type of game. The company has its live streaming casinos in Eastern European countries, Riga, Latvia, Tbilisi, Georgia, and uh, in Malta. And they have three other casinos here in the U.S. and in uh, Canada as well. The quality of the business, global gambling market is huge. It's about 307 billion euros, 80% of which is actually land-based. In the other 20%, there are a number of other subcategories. Online casino is only about 16 billion euro size as of the end of the year 2020. While land-based casinos are growing only at about 2%, online is actually growing at 12. And live casino is growing at about 30. Evolution is growing at about 50. Reasons for growth? Scale advantage. Thousands of players can be on a game at any one time as opposed to just a handful in a land-based casino. Market regulation. And now many com- countries are coming out with regulations that sort of attract both players and operators. Internet penetration and bandwidth uh, capacity has improved over time. Also, online payment solutions have improved considerably over time. Those are the reasons for growth of the business itself. And evolution has been growing even more rapidly only because they are able to offer a variety of high-quality games. While that may not sound like much, it absolutely, the technical expertise and the operational execution is of absolute importance to these operators and the players. 
So competition is another important aspect that I mentioned when it comes to this quality of business. Essentially, evolution is a monopoly. You know, 60% of uh, European market these guys have, almost 100% of the U.S. market, which is relatively young, evolution controls, and increasingly so in Asia. Competitors are UK-based company called Playtech, an Asia-based company that's private, a couple of Asia-based companies that are private. They're still growing, but Evolution CEO keeps talking about how he would like to put distance between itself and its competitors constantly. And they have a good lead at this point. I expect that to continue for a long time. Returns, Evolution benefits from its network effect as more games are released, more operators sign up, and more players sign up, leading to better margins. Since going public in 2015, Compounded annual growth rate of revenue has been 50%. Free cash flow has grown from 15 million at that time to 290 plus million in 2020. Free cash flow conversion has been high at a little north of 90%. It's run with no debt on the balance sheet. Return on capital has been 27, 28% consistently. Uh, Future growth, I expect that to continue both pre and post COVID. Behavioral changes, I expect that to stick. As I said, North America is early in its evolution and it's virgin territory for them to capture. How about the quality management team? Uh, Two of the co-founders are on the board. They own about a little north of 10.5%. Another board member owns another 7.5%, So a good chunk of insiders own stock in the company. Management team is well compensated and well incented. They've been good capital allocators over time, both developing new games as well as in making acquisitions. And so, you know, I like the quality of the management team. Uh, and finally, valuation. As I said, Evolution has grown at a very, at a breakneck speed over the last five years. And I expect that same speed to continue over the next five. I expect the, uh, over the next five years, free cash flow per share aggregate to add up to a little north of 33 euros. Even at current price, it's had a a good move since I bought it. But even at current price, I expect the free cash flow yield to be a little north of 4.5% at a time when 10-year treasury is still 1.6. So those are the sort of uh, aspects that I really liked. And uh, it's the largest weight in the portfolio at this point. Okay, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'm just looking at the metrics. It's ever so impressive. Even the, the dividend growth as well. It's fantastic. Yes, thank you. Um, so how about your second company? Sure. So this is uh, a US-based company. Again, um, very strong in its uh, competitive edge. The name of the company is Copart Inc. Uh, CPRT is the ticker. It trades on NASDAQ. It's about $29 billion. It's the largest salvage yard company in the U.S. It's uh, one of the two players in a duopoly with uh, approximately 50% share of the market. A salvage yard is essentially the uh, uh, location where damaged vehicles go to for eventual decision. And the company owns a little north of 240 lots around the world, actually. It's the dominant position player in the U.S., as well as increasingly in U.K., Germany, Mexico, and a few other countries. They have more, more than 240 lots on over 10,000-plus acres, 8,500 of which are actually owned by them. 
you know, since uh, 2003, the company has been conducting all uh, its auctions online. I'll come back to the uh, um, significance of that point in a, in a second. You know, think of uh, vehicles getting damaged on the road. Depending upon the seriousness of the damage, the insurance company will decide whether to pay the actual policyholder to go get the vehicle repaired or to call it as a total vehicle, meaning total loss, and pay off the policyholder to um, go get uh, a different vehicle. Increasingly, what's happening is uh, a couple of different dynamics have worked in favor of a company like Copart and its uh, and its uh, competitor. More and more vehicles have newer technology incorporated into them. More vehicles, because of energy efficiency standards, are made with composite material, which means at the point of impact, the uh, actual vehicle sort of crumbles instead of uh, passing through the uh, impact to the driver or the passenger. And on top of it, uh, almost invariably, except for a few different types of models, almost invariably, technology is all loaded in the front of the vehicle. While um, head-on collisions make it to the evening news on uh, TV or on print press, the most common type of uh, accident is rear-ending. And the rear-ending vehicle, where the technology is in the front of the uh, front portion of the vehicle, under the hood, that's the vehicle that gets damaged more than the rear-ended vehicle. And so all that is uh, leading to a point where insurance companies are increasingly saying at the point of com- impact, more and more vehicles are being totaled, uh, sent over to these salvage yards. That is the inventory for a company like uh, Copart. What they do is they take the vehicle in, clean it up, and um, even if the vehicle is, 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 is damaged, there are various different parts of the vehicle that become more attractive. And in fact, in many countries, these damaged vehicles are still drivable after a minor fix. And so um, they um, bring the vehicle in, clean it up, auction off these vehicles. And for being a middleman between the insurance company and the eventual buyer, they essentially capture a small percentage of the fee, depending upon the type of vehicle and the holding period and all that. It ranges uh, from vehicle to vehicle, from geography to geography. But it's a, think of this as a sort of a marketplace where they're able to capture a fee from both ends of the transaction. And it is the dominant uh, player, as I said, in the US and increasingly so around the world. So that's the nature of the business. What's the quality of the business, I mean, high return generating business, just about 20 plus percent return on capital over a long stretch of time, run almost with no debt on the balance sheet. Two very important decisions made early on um, have continued to play out, and that sort of uh, falls under the bucket of quality of the business as well as quality of the management team. Early on, they decided to actually hold on to these, buy and hold on to these really large uh, salvage yards in different parts of the country. In this day and age where nimbyism, not in my backyard kind of uh, approach by many uh, citizens of of, of the US and around the world, it's difficult to set up salvage yards in different geographies. 
but um, they have the history of owning these lands in various different parts, and that sort of helps them capture damaged vehicles in uh, various different cities. That's number one. And number two, as I said, in 2003, they decided to switch over to 100% online auction instead of having a small brick and mortar office where they just supply coffee and donuts for people to come in and make a bid. It's a very inefficient structure as opposed to this online. They're now able to ship these damaged vehicles to 190 countries from various different parts of the United States. So uh, that sort of uh, efficiency and that sort of uh, decision-making has helped them generate this healthy return. Competition is uh, very limited. There is another player by the name of IAA, which is also US-based, publicly traded, has about 30 plus percent market share, but uh, these guys dominate the scene. Uh, How about the management team? The founder is still the chairman. His son-in-law is the CEO. Between them, they own close to 13% of this $29 billion market cap company. As I said, the decision-making has been fantastic. High return generating is the focus with no debt on the balance sheet. And uh, they've been very opportunistic in terms of buying back their stock at different points. So that's the quality of the management team. And uh, from a valuation standpoint, again, uh, I look at this from a variety of different angles, free cash flow, operating free cash flow are the two important metrics that I look for. Again, at a time when um, uh, 10-year treasury is uh, so low, I'm able to pick them up at almost two and a half, three times that rate. It looks a really interesting company as well. Yeah, thanks, Trace, for sharing um, that company too. Is there a person that you have met or followed or, or possibly a book you've read that has made you a better investor, that has helped you along your investing journey? As you know, John, ego is the bane of most investors. And that comes from sort of uh, leads to overconfidence and making bad decisions, uh, particularly when it comes to this business of investing. While meditation helps quieten the mind, it reinforces the subject I, which sort of meditates on this object. And meditation is a process where I sit and think about or meditate on something. So there is a subject and an object. That subject I sort of reinforces the ego. And uh, that goes back to the point about overconfidence. So meditation is only partially helpful. And this is a very profound teaching from a saint in South India that I've been following for many years, who lived in the late 1800s all the way to the 1950s. Uh, His recommendation was for people to do what's called a self-inquiry. Instead of meditating, ask who that I is. By constantly seeking an answer to that question, that I dies down and so does the ego. Well, obviously, I have not necessarily arrived at it. The practice of doing this on a regular basis has helped me tremendously. His teachings, the practice has had a profound impact on how I operate as an investor today. So that's the individual and uh, teachings that uh, I would highlight to answer your question, unless you wanted me to go into an investor-related no, that was perfect. It's a really good answer. I, I, I think it, the psychology of um, investing, that's where I think many people do struggle with and 
possibly where you know they have to conquer their emotions and things and i think it it does uh, take a while to do that it is a very important aspect of investing and particularly during period periods like february march of 2020 or 2008 2009 sort of time frame the way you think and operate becomes uh, extremely important for the outcome particularly over a period of time and that's what i hope to capture by following this methodology so where can listeners go to find out more about you so i have a website svncapital.com i'm also relatively active on twitter not very but relatively active and that twitter handle is at @svncapital i'm also on linkedin where uh, people can find me thanks so much for coming on to the podcast shay it's been a pleasure to listen to you thanks a lot for having me again john greatly enjoyed it